Psalm 119. And we're in the next section, verses 9 through 16. The psalmist continues on, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejected, I'm sorry, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are two things that are absolutely true about you. And the first is you want to live a holy life, as we saw. You want to live a holy life. You're convinced. I don't need to convince you where joy is. I don't need to convince you, you know, that you need to follow God and obey him and love him. I know that you want to live a holy life. But with that is the second thing, that you want to live a holy life. You want to walk in purity. But you fail. We all stumble in many ways. We want to please God, we want to be faithful, we want to be godly, but we sin. And what this man cries out, how can a young man keep his way pure? I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about the adjective young, we could talk about this text in the context of young men, I think that's very profitable, but that's not the case. First of all, not all of us are young, and not all of us are men, but it still applies to all of us. How can, a, how can a, an older man keep his way pure? How can a, how can a grandfather keep his way pure? I mean, I've, I've talked to a, 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 a retired godly man, and this man is now in his 80s. I remember talking to him in his 70s. He's talking about the struggles that young men face, and he says, he says, son, you will face those struggles until you die. In other words, they're not just sins prone to young men. They're sins prone to all men. How can, a, how, can a, how can a mom keep her way pure? How can a wife keep her way pure? It's the cry of all of our hearts. How can we be pure? And, and, and in the context we live in, in this world, that literally promotes impurity, that, that legislates impurity and ungodliness and says that, that if you... If you believe, if you promote holiness, if you promote biblical righteousness, you are not just wrong, you're evil. So we live in a culture that, that says evil is good and good is evil. How do you live in holiness in this culture, in this context? So what this man cries out is what all of us are crying out. How can we be pure in an ungodly world, addicted to pornography, Pursuing, legislating gay marriage and transgenderism, teaching all these things to our children, right? A world that's addicted to entertainment, right? addicted to technology, 
And through all these means comes the world's filth just flinging at you in your pocket, in your ear, before your eyeballs. How can you be pure? The psalmist tells us, by keeping it according to your word. The, rem- the way, the path to purity is laid out for us in the instructions, and as we saw earlier, in the laws, the commandments of God. And that is the goal of the Christian life, is to keep himself in the word and to keep himself on the path to purity. When I was in high school, there was a, there was a trail that's in the, uh, in the gorge, the Oregon Gorge and Columbia River Gorge. <clears throat> it's called Eagle Creek. It's all burned up now because of the fires last summer. But we used to go up there hiking. Beautiful 11-mile hike. You know, you go up past Punchbowl Falls. You go up past uh, Tunnel Falls. Just beautiful place. So we go out there hiking and stuff. But there's some spots that are hairy, dangerous. And all, that's, all that you have is this little ledge and then this cable that's been bolted into the wall. So you're just walking on this path. And just in case, they put this little cable there that you can hold on to so you don't stumble. If you're not paying attention, it's deadly. And I had hiked it in high school, and a couple weeks later, two guys in my high school, one guy was from my high school, another guy was from another high school, but they went up there and hiked this trail. And I don't know what they were doing, horsing around. I don't know if they were drinking, but they both fell. And the guy in my class busted both his femurs, and the other guy died. If you don't stay up on the path, it's deadly. And if we do not keep ourselves shackled to the Word of God, if we do not follow His instructions, it is eternally destructive and is deadly so the psalm the psalmist tells us if we want to walk in purity if you want to survive the spiritual battle that we're in we must keep to the path because failure to do so is deadly but that's pretty general right keeping yourself in god's word is very general and this is equipping hour we want to make this practical so that's what i want to do and i think the psalmist really does that i don't think i'm i'm just trying to make this like an equipping hour sermon i think it just naturally does that So our goal this morning is to learn from him. Um, I want to point out for you seven disciplines to help you remain pure. Seven seven spiritual disciplines that will help you in your fight for holiness. The title of this message is The Path to Purity, How to Use God's Word to Grow in Holiness. So discipline number one, right? Very simple. Discipline number one in verse 10, pursue God through the word. Pursue God through the word. He says in verse 10, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. So he says with all his volition, I have sought you. And then the parallel text there, Do not let me wander from your commandments. This idea of, of seeking and not being lost on the trail. And so he followed this one path that led him to God, which is the scriptures. Now, we've got to clarify um, certainly as evangelical believers and as according to what the scriptures teaches, he's not talking about salvation by works. Right? He's not saying that obeying God's laws is what saved me. Right? We know that we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by works. We are saved by works. Whose work? By the work of Jesus Christ. We are saved by his work upon the cross. We put our confidence, our faith, our trust in him. We are saved and reconciled to God through his work. But if we are saved by his work, we will now produce fruit. We will now work 
1 John 2, 4 says, The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. And then 1 John 5, 2, By this we know that we, have, that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So the fruit of faith, the fruit of grace is the work, holiness, obedience. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He loves God. He wants to be with God because of what God has done in his life. He wants to follow the path that leads him to God. Right? So he wants to pursue God through the word. And this is what all of us have to do. Right? We have to be very specific in spending time seeking out what is God's will in his word. Right? Not just generally the path that leads to God, but seeking out God's will and his specific instructions for us in the word. When I first started dating Amy, October 26th, 2002, uh, I was building houses at the time, I was a framer, and when I got off work, I didn't go down to the bar, right? when I got off work, I didn't go hang out with my buddies, when I got off work, I went to spend time with Amy, and I would go to her house, and we would go on a walk, and we would talk, and we'd fellowship, and we'd pray, and so to get there, there was one way, I got off work, I drove up, you know, south up Bernard. I turned left on 29th, went down about two miles. I turned right on Martin Street. I went about maybe 50 feet, and I turned right on 30th. And I went to the end of the street. It was a dead end, and there was Amy's house. There was only one way in, and there was only one way out. Right? There's one path. And there's only one path that leads us to God. There's one way in. And there's no way out. We don't want out. There's one way to know him, to walk with him, and to fellowship with him. And that's in the pattern that's laid out for us in his word. And so he cries out, Do not let me wander from your commandments. There are many paths leading to many different places. And they all, at the end, have, have some trinket that's promising you that what you're looking for is going to be found there, as we already saw in the first section. But they're all dead ends. They're all spiritual dead ends. They're all destructive. And so he says, I know where my joy is found. It's in you. So shackle me to this map. Shackle me to this grid. Shackle me to this book. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Help me. And so this must be your cry as well. Right? This must be your agenda. This must be your conviction. Pursue God through his word. I know this is basic. I know this is like a wanna kind of stuff. But the problem is, we all know this, but we all don't do it. I'm a missionary. I'm a, I'm a professional holy man. Right? I get paid to preach the gospel. I get paid to live in another country and preach Christ. But you know what? I'm a sinner. I, I struggle with the exact same things that you struggle with. And my heart is fickle. My flesh is weak. I can read the Bible, and I can close it, and I can go do my work, and I, I, I was unaffected by the Word of God. Your title does nothing. I don't care if you're John Piper, John MacArthur, John Craig, Marcus Denny, David West, it does not matter. 
Our flesh is strong. And it wants to destroy us. It wants to pull us away from the source of truth. It wants to lead us down a false path. And I can, I can, I can testify that what John Bunyan wrote inside the cover of his Bible is true. This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And so we cry out every morning. We start out every morning the same way. Weak, helpless, and fraught with 10,000 things that want to, to, to grab our attention and to take us away from the one thing that matters. And so we need to pursue God through his word. If you want to pursue God, if you want him to be first in your life, and if you want to put him first in your life every morning, to, to, to destroy all of the idols that, that sprout up anew every morning, we must pursue God through the word. Make God's word your priority. But that's not enough. Secondly, how can we grow in holiness? Pursue God through the word. Secondly, memorize the word. Memorize the word. He says in verse 11, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The word treasured here means to hide, to keep, even to store up. All of us have things stored up. We live in a society where we're able to to keep things for long term. You guys, we're gonna we're gonna leave here this afternoon. And we're gonna go home, and you're gonna go into your house, and you're gonna open up your fridge, you're gonna open up your pantry, and what do you have there? You have food. I mean, when we got into our house, we we came into the house where we're staying. Um, John had been super kind to stay at their place. We walked in, there were bags of food, right? Beef jerky, goodies, treats. I'm I'm 42. It's starting to show. Right? It was dangerous things for me. But I, I start, you know, treats immediately. We have things at our beck and call. Right? Glass of water. You don't have to walk three miles to the well. Right? Hot water, except in the shower. A fridge full of food. We have things stored up. But the question is, do we have what is most important stored up? Do we have the word of God stored up that we might not sin against God? One of the reasons why we sin, there are many reasons, but one of the practical reasons why we sin is we do not have God's word stored up in our hearts and our minds. We are not able, we are not prepared, we are not equipped to fight against sin. We memorize Psalm 23, Psalm you know, 19, right? We memorize John 3.16, and we're like, I'm set, I'm good to go. No, you're not, right? The Jews did not believe that. The Jews didn't think that way. In Jesus' time, the, the first portion that they had memorized, but besides the Shema, was Psalm 119. They worked as little children on memorizing Psalm 119. In fact, as you probably already know, it's an acrostic, right? So each section is uh, an aspect of the, is a, is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters. So each section, Aleph, Beit, Gemel, Dalte. So, so every verse in this section that we're studying starts with Beit. It's a, it's a it's a tool to help even children memorize 176 verses. And we say, no way. But brothers and sisters, no, it is a way. It is the way. The way laid out for us in the word of God in order to pursue purity and fight sin. I have hidden, treasured, stored up your word in my heart 
so that when temptation comes, I'm ready. It's not just for Jesus Christ when he's tempted by Satan. It's for us. Ah, it's dangerous to use superheroes, but David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, he, he, was, he was five years old. Sunday school teacher said, if you memorize Psalm 119, I gave you a Bible. So he did it. Five years old. Memorize Psalm 119. He recited the entire psalm in a Sunday school class, and history says that he made five mistakes. John Wesley, one of the greatest evangelists, the Great Awakening, is said to have been able to quote more scripture from the Greek New Testament than from his English, and that's not because he only had two you know, verses in English memorized. And my point is that these men, you know, they were godly. They were godly when even at a young age, well, at least in the case of David Livingston, because he had learned how to use God's word. He hid it in his heart. He might not sin. I remember reading a, a biography, uh, It Is Not Death to Die, on Hudson Taylor, where they wrote the story of when they had gone into the, some of these provinces in China, and there were so little, you know, <clears throat> portions of Scripture available. And there were two Chinese women in one place that had memorized the entire New Testament except for two books. And if I remember correctly, it was like Luke and Revelation. 25 books of the New Testament memorized by some ladies that were working out in the fields every day. Right? No education, no UCI, no UCLA, no masters, you know, this and doctor to that. They memorized the word of God. It's not an issue of ability, it's an issue of priority. And the purpose of this, he says, is to kill sin. And so this is what we need to do. We need to store up God's word. We need to be ready to use God's word. We'll come back to this in a little bit. Thirdly, pursue God through the word. Memorize the word thirdly. Sounds kind of silly, but be taught the word. Verse 12. Be taught the word. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. So this this should be central in our Bible study. Not just to get our coffee, open our Bible, do some reading and check off the list, but to come and say, God, I woke up this morning, yesterday, maybe it was a good day, maybe it was a bad day, every day is different. This morning, though, it's the same thing. My heart is fickle, my heart is weak, my my emotions and affections are not inclined to you. I, I come to you this morning, open my heart, teach me, teach me your word, teach me your ways. And the psalmist prays this perpetually, that God would teach him. Psalm 119, verse 12, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 26, I have told him my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Verse 66, teach me good discernment and knowledge. Right? Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Verse 108, teach me your ordinances. Verse 124, teach me your statutes. Verse 135, teach me your statutes. Verse 171, teach me your statutes. What am I getting at? (laughs) We need to be taught. We can read God's word. The psalmist can, can write inspired scripture and yet still has to cry out, teach me. He's a prophet of God and yet he cries out, teach me. Here's why. Your flesh does not love this book. My flesh does not love the Bible. 
And, and the goal of Bible reading is not simply to get the information here into here, but to get it from here to here and then to where? To here and then to where? To here. To, to get it from the head to the heart and then to the hands. Where does it usually get to? I mean, just be honest with me. I'll be honest with you. Where does my Bible reading usually get me in the morning? It gets me to here. And even then, it's only here for maybe five minutes because then I go on to my next duty and I've, I've you know, often forgotten what I've done. And so the psalmist says, Lord God, teach me your word. The flesh rages against the spirit, the New Testament says, and the spirit against the flesh. Galatians 5.17, he says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. That, that, that the God's spirit in you is hindered by our flesh. And brothers and sisters, I would just add to you that one of the greatest tools that Satan uses for us here in America to thwart our desperation for God is our comfort. I don't need to tell you that, but I do need to remind you of it. One of the greatest tools that, that Satan is, is using at this moment in our country. Now, he's using a lot of things, but one of the things he's using is our comfort. Now, I was working on this message yesterday, and I was 2,027 feet and 16 inches from Disneyland. Okay? From the, from the window next to the kitchen, I can see the Ferris wheel. Right. Now... Okay, I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to be super spiritual. I want to go to Disneyland. I'm sitting there working on a message on God's word, and Disneyland's like, come on, right? Magic Mountain. It's hard to prepare a message on spiritual dis- you know, disciplines when you're 2,000 feet away from Disneyland. And that's the battle that we're facing every day. I mean, there are, there are so many distractions. Sitting at your desk, sitting with your Bible, Maybe reading on your, on, your, on, your, on your smartphone, on your computer. And the next thing you know, you're, you're surfing YouTube. Next thing you know, you're looking at Amazon. Oh, Amazon. I need, I need, I'm reading my Bible. Oh, it's time for me to get a new Bible. Amazon. Right? And next thing you know, it's like 30 minutes. Oh, click on. I got a new Bible coming. Well, it's time for me to go to work. Right. We live every day like that. And brothers and sisters, we don't understand that we're in a war. I, wa- I like to watch, you know, like you, I like to watch Saving Private Ryan. I like to watch World War II documentaries, World War II movies or whatever. And the reason I like them is that because it comes to an end and I don't step out my door and worry about stepping on a landmine. That's just a movie. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, there are landmines all over the place as soon as I step out the door, as soon as I step out of bed. There are spiritual landmines everywhere around me, and I'm stepping on them all the time and blowing myself up, and you are too. We need God's word because we are at war with sin, with sin, a relentless, vicious, antagonistic enemy that will do anything to thwart our affections for God and our holiness to live for his glory. And yet we get up and we're so casual because we do not remember this. So we need God to teach us. Teach me your word. 
And so brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to do this. You must discipline yourself to make God's word the very first thing that you look at and do in the mornings. That is probably one of the hardest things that you will do this week. To make God's word the very first thing that attracts your heart, that receives your attention and your affections. And then I would say this. That when you go to sit down in your chair, and after you've read your text, physically get out of your chair, physically get down on your knees, and ask God to teach you. Put yourself in a, in a posture that maybe you're not too often in. Remove yourself out of the casual state of just sitting in a chair. Force yourself upon your knees. And in this physical position, cry out to God. God, help me. Teach me. Teach me your word. Fourthly, fourthly recount to yourself the word. Recount to yourself the word. He says in verse 13, with my lips I have told of all your ordinances, or all the ordinances of your mouth. Now, um, the word told can mean that, you know, to, to make known, or to announce, but it can also mean to recount. And I think in this context, that's what the psalmist is saying. I don't think he's saying I've been out on the streets preaching to everybody else your word. I, Sunday morning, I was talking to Cornerstone Bible Church about seven steps that they can use, you know, do, use God's word. No, I think he, what he's saying here is, God, I recount to myself your truth. I, I teach my heart. I instruct my own heart with your word. Some of you are very familiar with uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great wealth preacher. Uh, he has a great book on spiritual depression. And he says that one of the reasons why Christians become depressed, maybe anybody for that matter, but Christians especially, why we become depressed is that we stop talking to ourselves. and We just listen to ourselves. We don't, we don't instruct our minds. So when you wake up in the morning, what, is your, what are your thoughts to go to? Right? Your thoughts go to all, you have the burdens of the day, maybe the, the baby's already crying, you know, you're late for work or whatever it is. Your phone is right there. You're, you want to check the, the stocks. You want to check your email. You want to check your Twitter feed, right? All these things. And you just allow your, your fleshly mind to lead you and to, 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 to guide you. And he's saying here, Lloyd-Jones is saying, no, we have, to, we have to teach ourselves what to think. We have to instruct our own minds. We have to force them and bend our will. We have to bend our will to the word of God. Control what our mind is thinking. Your mind says, grab your phone. Right? Do this, do that. Think about this, think about that. And he says, no, I will recount to myself the word of God. I will not allow God's truth to be pulled away from me by less important things. So recount his glories to yourself. Recount the gospel to yourself. Recount what Christ has done for you and set before yourself the theme of the day. I will live for Christ because he lived, suffered, and died for me. The theme of today is I will live for Christ because Christ lived, suffered, died, and he rose again. 
for my justification? How can I turn to lesser things? Let me recount myself, recount to myself, preach the gospel to myself. And I'll tell you what, this is why, this is one of the blessings of being a preacher, because I know when my sermons are boring. I mean, I, at least I know when they're weak. I don't always know maybe when they're boring, but I can at least know, like, this is going to be a bad sermon. If my own heart has not been convicted, if my own heart has not been humbled, if I have really, if the truth has not penetrated my heart, I will tell you, it's not going to preach. And so every Saturday night, there is loud crying and tears. God, this, this has not affected my heart. I will be an utter hypocrite to stand before people and to tell them about you and to tell them what to do when my own heart has not been affected. But this has to be the goal of every, every morning. Lord God, I cannot go on living today without being motivated by what you have done for me through Christ. Help me. And so we recount to ourselves the gospel of the grace of God. It is hard work. It is cheerful work. But it is necessary work. So pursue God through the word. Memorize the word. Be taught the word. Recount the word. Fifthly, cherish the word. Cherish the word. He says in verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. In other words, if there was a person who had all of the riches in the world, that is how much I love your testimonies. So let me ask you, what is most precious to you? What is your most precious possession? I hate losing things. Probably do too. I hate when people steal. What would you do if the government took away your savings. That's happening all over the world. What would you do if the government took away your house? What would you do if they took away your freedom? But what would you do if the United States of America came in and took away your Bible? There's an affection and love in the psalmist's heart for the word of God that is hardly known among us. And I would say that it's just simply God's grace, that he has been enabled by God to see what is, what is the most precious thing a man can have. He says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. This word testimony is a specific word explaining how the scriptures testify regarding who God is. Now, think about that for a moment. You know, the word uh, testify. Who, who, who gives a testimony in, in, in the court of law? A witness. What is his job? To recount to the judge, before the lawyers and before the people, before the jury, what he has seen. And what the psalmist is, is saying here is that God's word is a witness. It is a testimony of who God is and what God has done. Page after page after page of explanation of who God is and what he has done. And I would just add that, that everything around us that we have is a testimony of who God is and what he's done. Every article of clothing, every hair still left on my head, right? 
every, every, every tank of gas, every wheel, I'm getting silly here, but every single thing that you and I have is from God. But none of those things compare. None of those things compare to God himself. None of those things compare to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And yet, again, going back to this morning's sermon, yet, yet the, the world around us and every day is filled with hundreds of things vying for our affections and deceiving us, saying, in this you will find what you're looking for. And, and the psalmist is saying, no, your testimonies, what testifies about you? Here's a witness that announces to us, here is eternal satisfaction. Here is joy. Here is a God who is worthy of our worship and our praise and of all of our hearts and pursuing him with strength and mind and soul. And I would add that there is only one source that testifies to the person and the work of God, to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's this one book, this one single source, 66 books. And you will never, ever plumb all the depths of what it testifies about. So we must, we must go and learn to rejoice and to say, God, help me to love the word more than the world because that's not where I'm at. Sixthly, meditate on the word. It's similar to what he said earlier, hiding one's word, hiding the word in your heart. But he says here, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. And this word meditate is an important word. This is not, as you know, as you're well aware, this is not some idea of, of Eastern mysticism. This is not some idea of you know, sitting cross-legged on a cliff, emptying your mind, right? Confucianism or something. This is meditation that is a deep and focused thought, right? It is thorough thinking, if I could say it that way. It is thorough thinking. Thinking on something, around something, through something. It is to mull something over and over and to keep your mind fixed on that one object and to keep everything else at bay. And that tells you right there why meditation is so hard. Because we have a very difficult time thinking upon one thing. I just had a professor when I was at the D-Men. Um, and he's a, he's a professor over on the East Coast. And brilliant man. Brilliant theologian, brilliant New Testament scholar, and he teaches this thing called media ecology, which I've never heard of. But it's basically just on you know technology and, and how it's used and how it's functioning and what it's doing in our world. And he told us he banned laptops in his classroom. He banned laptops, not just because, you know, while he's teaching guys are surfing the web, but he says that that you learn absolutely different your mind functions differently typing than versus writing. He's like, when you write, and so all these old school guys, MacArthur, um, Steve Lawson, all these guys, they write out their sermons. And Lawson's like, you know, when I write my sermons, it goes from my hand up to my head into my heart. He goes, when I type, he goes, I don't remember anything. And so this other guy, this professor, he was like, that's absolutely, he said, there are factual things going on. There are statistics. They're looking at statistics. It is much harder for you to learn typing than it is writing. And then he talked about, he said, 88% of the men in his college that are on academic probation 88% of the men on academic predation are gamers. He said the highest peak time of internet use is from 7 a.m. to 4 a.m. Did you get that? From 7 a.m. to 4 a.m., the internet at their college is jacked up the whole time. That means guys are gaming 
They're not going to school. They're not going to class. From 7 a.m. to 4 a.m., they're gaming. They go to bed. They get back up at 7, and they game. He said, girls are doing it. He said, all the students are doing it. He says, and it's destroying students' ability. And he's saying, he says, technology is dumbing us down. It's destroying our culture. He goes, we don't even, we don't even know where this is leading to yet. We're just at the beginning. He goes, TV, we're all dumber because of TV. He goes, but, but smartphones, he goes, it's going to be, he's like, I think it's a disaster. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, but I think all of us know. Man, this, it's hard, right? I mean, all of us know. All of us have not just seen the picture. We've been in the picture. Three people standing in a circle looking at their smartphones, right? It's hard to meditate. It's hard to stay focused. I would just say this. Have a, please have a physical Bible. Just have a physical Bible. Just use your smartphone for, you can have 100 applications. That's great, fine. But please have a physical Bible. Read God's word in physical print. Be amazed that you actually have a paper Bible in your hands. When the first century church was lucky to have maybe a copied letter. Read God's word. Put your cell phone under the couch. Put it in your glove box. Do whatever you have. Read God's word. Jettison all distractions and then learn to, to meditate and to focus on God's word. And I just, can I just teach you from experience? And I'm not, I'm not trying to do this to boast. I'm not trying to do this to, but I think it's helpful to, to, to do examples. But a couple of things that have been super helpful. Um, I drive my kids to school every morning, and it's about a 20, 25-minute drive. And so, we'll, you know, we'll do various things. Sometimes we'll, you know, we'll talk about this or read that or you know even sometimes when they're super child we'll just listen to some classical music or whatever but usually usually what we'll do is we'll go through a text and for for two years we went through Psalm 119 and we just we got on the car and I said okay Lid your turn open the Bible she opened it up and she read this section and then we would just start talking about one verse sustained conversation now I got little kids right I understand like one more we're talking about God's word next time we're talking about you know Batman or whatever and so coming back over and over and teaching my heart and their hearts to, to focus on God's word. Let's discipline ourselves to focus on this. And then here is the, here is the thing that's helped me the most. The, the, the thing that's helped me more than anything in my life has been memorizing God's word. I can say that hands down. Of, of every spiritual discipline maybe with the exception of prayer, and I think these go hand in hand. Nothing has affected my spiritual life more than the memorization of God's word. When I was here at Cornerstone, uh, Mark Lee, he's not here anymore, but um, Bach and, and Gene's brother, we were meeting, you know, spending time together on the weekends, and we worked all the way through Psalm 119 and memorized almost the whole thing. We missed like the last three sections. I just told him the other day, I was like, man, I'm, I'm going through Psalm 119 right now. I said, remember that time, it was so wonderful. And we grew so much. And then, then I worked through Colossians, and I, and I tell you this, uh, when I was building houses of stone in Spokane, there was one, I was building this house out in, in Idaho, and it was over an hour drive, and there was this one stretch that was miles of just driving straight, and I would hold my Bible on the steering wheel, and I memorized 1 Timothy, and it, it changed my entire life, because what, it's not just that you're just memorizing, it's that now you're not thinking about that. You're not thinking about that. You're not thinking about this. You're not thinking about, you're thinking about God's word. And it gets in your heart. And then you're up on the walls and you're pounding nails and it just starts circulating and percolating in your heart and in your mind. And I'm just, I'm telling you from my own experience, nothing has ever changed my life more than this. And so I would, I would plead with you because of the benefits. 
People are like, go off sugar, work out every day, and you'll feel so much better. I believe them, but God's word is way better than going off sugar. Hiding God's word in your heart and meditating upon his heart, not his mind, upon his truth. Learning to engage with God through the scriptures. And then you will learn, you will know how to pray. God's word will show you, this is what I ought to pray for. So, last one. Coming back again to delighting, just delight in God's word. Pursue God through the word, memorize the word, be taught the word, recount the word to yourself, cherish the word, meditate on the word, and finally delight in the word. Verse 16, the psalmist says, I shall delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So the point I want to make here is simply this. Delight is a choice. Delight is a choice. We choose where we're going to look for our satisfaction. We choose where we're going to find our joy. And here's the deal. Delighting in the world is easy because it takes no work. You don't have to work at it. I don't have to work at it. Our flesh is inclined to it. Delighting in God's word is work. Now, delighting in the world is no work, but it ends in what? Death. And at least, as Christians, temporary sadness, discouragement, maybe depression. Delighting in the word is work, but it ends in what? Joy and satisfaction. Remember, the first thing to go when you sin is what? Your holiness and your happiness. When we delight in God's word, when we choose to delight in his, in his word, we will find joy. You look at, these, look at these people. Look at these Orange County people. They are the, the perfect people. Right? Um, some of you guys watched that do, do home repair show with that one couple, the Orange County. They're buying houses and flipping houses. You know, she's super pretty, super attractive. They're like this super couple. And what happened? Their marriage blew up, right? So that, how, how can someone who's so beautiful and someone so handsome and so perfect, how can that thing fall apart? Because there's no joy there. Because they, 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 they were selfishly pursuing joy. And now would they convince themselves, if I get out of this marriage, then I'll find what I'm looking for. There was a choice made. The beginning was, I will find my joy in her, I will find my joy in him, and then it fell apart. And then the decision was made. Now I'm going to find my joy somewhere else and in someone else. It was a decision. It is a decision to choose to delight yourself. I remember a man, and I'm be very general and you wouldn't even know it anyways, but very godly man, and when I saw his wife, I was rather taken aback. But what I saw was this man loved his wife with all of his heart, and he was happy, and he was satisfied. And I knew then and there, 15 years ago, delight is a choice. It is a choice. We must delight and to choose to delight in that which is truly delightful, and that which is truly worthy of our praise and our affections. That is God himself through the word. And so I just come back to that again. Um, memorize God's word. Choose to delight. We got little kids that memorize hundreds of video game codes. Right? We have, we have geniuses in this church who spent years memorizing formulas for chemistry and, and formulas to be a physician or a, a, a physicist or a, a chemist. Uh, Right? To be a doctor. 
memorize tons of stuff. You are, you are not disabled. You are not shortchanged in any way. Memorize God's word. If Psalm 119 is too hard, then I encourage you to do this. Go to Amazon. Wait till I'm, wait till I'm done. And we're going to pray. Then you can pull out your smartphone. And you can go to Amazon.com. And you can Google a little ebook. It's called An Approach to Extended Memorization of Scripture. An Approach to Extended Memorization of Scripture. I forget the guy's name. But the guy's memorized something like 60 books of the Bible. And he gives a good point. You know, everyone says, oh, you're, something, you're a superhero, you're a spiritual giant. He goes, no, I'm a normal man just like you. But I've made a choice. I've made a choice. And what he does is every single day he memorizes a verse. So download the book, right? spend like 45 minutes slowly reading through it, and then I urge you, make a commitment to God. I'm God, I'm going to hide your word in my heart. I'm going to start with a chapter of the Bible. I'm going to start with Romans 8, and I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to start with Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1. I'm going to start with Psalm 119, and in, in about... Half a year, three quarters of a year, I'm going to have this thing down. And I'm going to recount it every day like William Wilberforce, who every day as he walked to Parliament, 15 minutes, recounted Psalm 119 to his heart and was ready for the battle. May God give us grace to be men and women who not only love and cherish the word, but live out its precepts and its commandments and know the joy that comes from walking with God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. I thank you, God, for your word and for your truth. And we thank you for huh, this man who was like us, who wrote this poem, a love poem, if you will, not, not an, an ode to, some, to a woman or an ode to some object, but it was an ode, a love poem for the word of God, expressing both his affections and his desire that the word of God would consume him and he would be consumed with the word. And I pray that that would mark me and I pray that would mark the leaders of this church and it would mark all the members of this body we would be people that are consumed with Christ and his word and his truth. To your glory, O oh Father, we pray these things in your son's name.